0: Lord, we thank you that you are an extraordinary God who loves to speak. And we thank you for the way in which we have these words in front of us, hundreds, thousands of years old and yet so relevant and contemporary for a room full of people in all kinds of places, all kinds of situations, all kinds of doubts and concerns and hurts and joys. We pray as we look at these two psalms together this morning, we pray that you would speak, pray that you would nourish us for the week ahead, pray that you would prepare us for the future, we pray that you would speak, amen. This, um, this was the week, among other things, where the actor Robin Williams committed suicide. Man, it seems, blessed by extraordinary talent and and creativity, so very funny, but also plagued by, by mental illness and clinical depression. And, as he often can be, the comedian Russell Brand, a man himself who suffers from mental illness, wrote well in The Guardian the day after about Robin Williams. He said this. He said, Is it melancholy to think that a world that Robin Williams can't live in must be broken to tie this sad event to the overarching misery of our times robin williams could have tapped anyone in the western world on the shoulder and told them he felt down and they would have told him not to worry that he was great that they loved him he must have known that he must have known his wife and his kids loved him that his mates all thought he was great that millions of strangers the world overheld him in their hearts a hilarious stranger that we could rely on to anarchically interrupt the all-encompassing sadness of the world. Today, Robin Williams is part of the sad narrative that we used to turn to him to disrupt. What platitudes, then, can we fling along with the listless, insufficient wreaths at the stillness that was once so animated and wired, the silence where the laughter was? It's a very sad reminder of the pain and the brokenness of our worlds. broken world where mental illness and clinical depression is rife and increasingly common, where, where more and more people are being diagnosed and treated. But perhaps a world too simply of increasing melancholy. As we look around, we see the brokenness, we watch the news, we read the papers, we seek to protect ourselves even from everything that's going on because it's too painful. The images that we encounter. A world where we need people like Robin Williams to, to interrupt the sadness. But he himself becomes a part of the sadness. Even for the believer, we're not immune. Far from it, perhaps with softer hearts, with greater awareness, with more concern about pain and suffering, more wrestling with the reality, more longing for it to finish and Christ to return. We're not immune. So how do we cope? How do we cope in this kind of a world with this kind of news? Murders, deaths, abductions, war, and some of these things, just, just a few streets over from where we're meeting this morning. How do we cope? I take it clinical depression is something different, and doctors need to be helped there. Doctors need to help there. But I hope our two psalms for this morning, Psalm 42 and 43, will be of great value to us as we we wrestle with the reality of a broken world. I know there are many in this room this morning who struggle with feelings of hopelessness and sadness and fear, anxiety, depression. But I hope that wherever we might be on that spectrum... There are good lessons for us all. The, the context and feelings in Psalm 42 and 43 might be quite specific. A unique situation, but how he copes the way that he deals with himself in the midst of it, well, there we'll find lessons that we all must heed and learn and hold on to. So remember what we're doing. Remember over the summer, we are looking at the Psalms For that reason, for the reason of wanting to help us learn how to respond to the reality of life. Remember, it was Augustine who said that Psalms don't just speak to us, they speak for us. They help us to verbalize the life of faith, the heights and the depths. They were the words of Jesus from the cross. So they ought to be our words. But I suspect if we're honest, if you're anything like me, this might be something that we're not that good at. Maybe it's being British. Many of us are here British. We've been thoroughly trained in the school of stoicism. We've been taught to have stiff upper lips that big boys don't cry. Maybe it's that perhaps the kind of church circles we move in can, if I can put it this way, be overly cerebral. We... Often head matters rather than heart. But as the psalmists write, they are incredibly honest and vulnerable and exposed. We, we see into the very depth of their beings. We see into their hearts as they cry out to the Lord. And Psalm 42 and 43 is a text like that. Just like that. You see him in inner turmoil. Suffering physically and mentally. There's oppression, there's a distance from God, there's distance from his people. And he's longing to be with the Lord again. So if you look down at 42, you see in the heading, you see that this is a psalm or psalms of the sons of Korah. We know they were a group of priests, that their job was the ministry of singing. You can see them in action in Two Chronicles 20, for example, verse 19. and some Levites from the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. These, as Andrew said last week, are, are, are songs. They are part of public worship. They are corporate. they are together. People of God singing songs that awaken and express and and shape the emotional life of their people, of the community. But more than that, it's sons of Korah. But look, it's a masculine, and we don't quite know what that means. Not exactly clear, and so most versions don't translate it. But we do know. I think that it comes from a Hebrew word that means to bring wisdom or to give insight. So I think these are songs that instruct, these are songs that make us wise, songs that are full of content and teaching and thinking that are meant to mould us and shape us and form us as a community, but as individuals too. And so what are Psalm 42 and 43 teaching us? Well, if you just zoom in on 42 verse 5, I think it's there in a nutshell. Do you see, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. He's tormented, he's full of anguish. But then look again, it's not just 42.5, it's verse 11 as well. And then over 43 and verse 5. which is why many take this as a single psalm together, there is this refrain, this chorus, this phrase that goes through both of them, giving us a glimpse into the theme of the psalm. As a single flow, a single idea, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. What are they teaching us? They're psalms that are teaching us how to fight for hope when we are downcast and disturbed. First thing to note, we see that he is alone in the valley. I take it the very foundational key thing, the very heart of his anguish in these psalms is his inability to meet with God. He is unable to praise him. He's oppressed and he's hounded and he's suffering but the thing he longs for i take it at root is not relief from those things but rather to meet again with his god to praise him in the midst of those things so you can see how it starts familiar words for many of us as the deer pants for streams of water so my soul pants for you my god my soul thirsts for god for the living god when can i go and meet with god You see, he longs at root to be in the Lord's presence. He thirsts for that. But I think these first two verses, for many of us, pose a couple of problems. The first one is when we think deer in our culture, we probably think woodland deer, perhaps Bambi, dappled light, needing a drink in the lake, make a nice poster for your wall, there's a bunny rabbit somewhere, sat behind the deer. But it's not it, is it? This is anguish in a parched and dry and desolate land. This is a deer panting for water as a lost child longs for his parents. As someone in a land decimated by famine longs for food. As a lost and terrified lamb longs for its mother. So the deer pants for water in torment, disorientated. Which then brings us to our second problem. And you need to forgive me for this, but I wonder sometimes if the song that we sing, As the deer pants for the water, while the words are great, I'm not sure about the tune. I wonder if the tune is a bit too chirpy and upbeat for this psalm. Forgive me for that, but these are the psalms from the depths. These are dark psalms. And I take it they get more hopeful. The second half of Psalm 43, but the tune ought to be dark. There'll be glimpses of light. But darkness, discords, pain, torment, frustration. And in the darkness and the, the the torment, the psalmist is thirsting for God. Thirsting not to know about him, but to know him. Look at the pain. 42 verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. There's weeping. There's a taste of salt in his mouth. There's tears that have streamed down his face, staining his skin. Verse 6, my soul is downcast within me. There's spiritual and mental anguish oppressing this guy. And physical affliction too, it seems. 42 verse 10, my bones suffer mortal agony. And we don't know what's brought him here. We don't know the situation. But as we've seen in previous psalms, some of the pain comes from the relentless taunts of his enemies. There are drumbeat that go through, 42 and 43, so have a look at them with me. 42, verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? Or verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Verse 10, My foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? 43, verse 1, vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. Or verse 2, you are God, my stronghold, but why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Can you hear them? People asking, where's your God? Taunting him, mocking him. The unfaithful nation, the deceitful, the wicked, oppression from his enemies, the, the names tumble out of their mouths at him, and he pours out his heart to the Lord, isolated. The problem though, is not just not just those looking in and mocking him. There's a problem too, because he looks back to times gone by, 42 verse four. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. He remembers meeting with the people of God before God, praising him. It's not quite parallel, of course, but but do you miss church when you can't make it? Do you miss gathering together? It's striking. He looks back to time with God, but also to time with others, joyfully praising with others as they gather together. He, he misses others, he misses the chance to do that at the temple, to worship corporately. It's an interesting thought in our overly individualistic culture that often plays down the importance of gathering, that plays down the importance of family, of organized religion even. Psalmist faces internal and external turmoil, and what does he want? He wants to meet with the people of God to praise his God, as in times gone by. And we say, well, is God not there? Where is God? Is God not with him in the valley? Is he not with him in the darkness? Is he distant, removed, unconcerned? Where is his God? Well, his God is there. I have to say, I find 42, verse 7 and 8, completely extraordinary and hugely challenging. Deep calls to deepen the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. See the tension there? Do you see how the Lord is with him in the midst? Two ways. The first is that ultimately he sees this hardship coming from the Lord's hand. Isn't that extraordinary in verse 7? All your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers, not the waves and breakers, but your. He's almost drowning in them, but he affirms God's sovereign hand in the situation. John Piper, the now retired American pastor and author, when he was at his church, very movingly said this to his congregation about this verse. He says, All his crashing and tumultuous and oppressing and discouraging circumstances are the waves of God. The psalmist never loses his grip on the great truths about God. They are the ballast in his little boat of faith. They keep him from capsizing in the tumult of his emotions. But then this, he says, oh, how many of you have learned this more deeply than I because of the waves that have broken over your lives? You have learned deeply that there is no relief to say that God does not rule the wind and the waves. All your waves and breakers. It's something we'll no doubt battle with and wrestle with. But in the mess, through the mess, behind the mess, remember you have a father who loves you and who is sovereign and good. So God is there, but also secondly in verse eight, second glimpse of God in the valley. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He He knows and he remembers and he just sees glimpses of the Lord being with him by day and by night, singing nighttime prayers. In the dark, he finds hope, senses the Lord's presence. Some say this is where perhaps Psalm 42 and 43 came from. This might be his nighttime prayer that he penned as he wrestled with this situation, as he longs for intimacy with the Lord. He longs to praise him among his people. As he clings, and he fights for hope. you see, in one sense, he feels abandoned by God, but in another, he knows He is there with him. He knows the Lord is sustaining, and he knows the Lord is sovereign. And even though he feels abandoned, he never stops thirsting and fighting and hoping and longing. And so second point: longing for the heights. And I want us just to zoom in on on what he does as he longs for the Lord. I think there are three dangers that we might fall into, three traps that we can slip into in this situation that the psalmist counters for us. You see, whilst we might know exactly what's going on, we might not exactly know the situation. What we do know is his response to it. Which means they can make us wise. Which means these psalms are for us. So first thing he does, he doesn't turn away, but he looks to the Lord. He pours out his heart to him. So I have again, looking at verse 42, chapter 42 and verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Or... 43 verse 2, similar verse. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? God, you're my rock and my stronghold. You're my foundation, my security, the one whom I lean on. So why must I go about mourning and oppressed? It's as if you've forgotten me. But I know that you're trustworthy, I know that you're a rock. You see, our danger is that we run from him when life is hard. We turn from him. We doubt whether he is a rock or a stronghold. But here the psalmist looks to the Lord, remembers what he's like, and then pours himself out. And that is okay. Often we're all very polite And we don't like complaining about things unless we can do it in a letter or online. But in a broken world, in a messy world, in the world of Psalm 42 and 43 where things go wrong and where people are in pain and there is suffering and hardship and anguish, come before your rock and your stronghold and pour out your heart to him. But as you do that, take care. Take care that it's not just selfish moaning. Sometimes you meet people in life who are just bitter. They're bitter about everything, about their lot in life, about how the Lord has let them down in so many ways, about how how it wasn't supposed to turn out like this. And they become stunted and stuck and, and turned in on themselves and unable to get past disappointments. Unable to see God at work in them or through them. It isn't just a psalmist moaning. Do you remember what he wants? He wants to praise God. He wants to meet with him, to meet with his people, to to be in his presence in the midst of the mess. They don't turn away, but look to God. God. Secondly, and this is really important, don't believe what you're feeling, but talk to yourself. This is key, this is vital for a healthy believer. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a famous book called Spiritual Depression based on Psalm 42. He says this, He said, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him, so he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment, and I will speak to you. He talks to himself but it is messy. We would be naive to expect instant effects, to expect a a quick pep talk and everything's all right again. So we've already seen 42 verse 8, these nighttime prayers. I think it's the greatest declaration of of praise in the psalm, but then what's that followed by? 42 verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? He's, Here in these psalms, there is no linear progression. There is no simple answer. As you work through the verses, it doesn't start bad and get better. It's not as simple as that. It's real. It's a story of muddle, a story of despair. And so three times he talks to himself with the refrain, and we end on it too. Finally, there is no resolution. There is no happily ever after. He ends up still talking to his soul. I think there are some, there's more colour in 43. There's a bit more hope. He seems to be on his way up out of the valley. But it's not neatly tied up. Because that is real life. We must learn to talk to ourselves. Another current writer, Paul Tripp, says this. He says, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. I think he's right. As the psalmist does, do you talk to yourself in the midst of the mess, in the frustration of life where You're feeling hopeless or despairing or condemned. Do you believe those things or talk to yourself, talk truth? And yet that comes as a jarring sound for some of us because we're not quite sure what to do with emotions. Our our culture often talks and applauds being true to yourself. You must be true to yourself. You can't help who you are I can assure you from experience it's taught in primary schools, but here the psalmist talks to himself, he rebukes himself, he disciplines himself even, and says, have hope in God. His self is melancholy and hopeless, and so he's not being true to it, because he knows he has hope in God, even if he doesn't feel it. On this side of the cross, what is our greatest ground for hope? It's Easter Sunday. It's the empty tomb. It's Jesus Christ crucified for our sins and triumphant over death and the first fruit of the new creation. So the main thing we preach to ourselves when, when it feels hopeless is the gospel. We'll come here again next week, but Romans 8 helps us so helpfully in doing this. Listen, listen, self, if God is for you, who can be against you? Well, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for you, how will he not also with him graciously give you all things? Who shall bring any charge against you as God's elect? Self, because it's God who justifies. Who is to condemn you? self. Christ Jesus is the one who died and was raised and is at the right hand of God and who is interceding for you. Who shall separate you from the love of Christ? self? No one. Nothing can. You're safe. We have the ultimate grounds for hope. We can be truly hopeful because we have seen Christ die and be raised again for his people. So learn to talk to yourself. Learn to rebuke yourself and discipline yourself. Do not always trust your feelings. The third pitfall is he doesn't get stuck in the now, but he hopes in God's presence for the future. It's easy to get caught in ruts. It's easy to be stuck. Like you can't see your way out of a situation. But he looks ahead. Do you remember how the psalm started? He was thirsting for God's presence. He was longing for him. And then in 43, verse 3 to 4, that hope is a bit more visualized, a bit more obvious. There's a bit more color. Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my joy and my delight, I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Where do we see the face of God? Where do we go to meet with Him? Our answer is Jesus, the one who said, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. John 14. Or Paul, when he said that we turn to, when we turn to Christ, we see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, 2 Corinthians 4. Do you see, we see the face of Christ and we see the face of God. And when we see the glory of his face, it's when we hear the story of Easter, the resurrection. Jesus is both, verse 3, his light and faithful care, but also the one who leads us to be with him forever. Jesus is the presence of God now and he brings us to the presence of God forever. And that would be a great place to end the psalm. But he doesn't. We're not left on a high at verse 4. We're left in reality in verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. It finishes, but it's not finished. So when you're in the valley, when it's real, when life is hard, don't turn away, but look to him. Don't believe what you're feeling but speak to yourself. And don't get stuck in the now, but in Christ, look ahead to the future. Put your hope in God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these psalms. Thank you that they speak for us. Thank you that you see the reality of our hearts. You know the brokenness of the world and the ways that we respond. And we pray that you would be with us in these times. Might we look to you? Might we talk to ourselves? And might we have that hope? Thank you that you're with us in the hard times. Thank you that you are sovereign over them. Help us to trust you. Help us to keep trusting you. Thank you that we have a hope in Christ. Might we persevere in him. Amen.